everyone, welcome back to the Empathy Show. So today marks another set of solo episodes that we're going on. So I will be the first one hosting one today. So Shrag is in here, obviously, and I have a very special guest. Um, and we'll find out who it is very shortly. So today I have a very, very special, ambitious superwoman with me. She is literally so incredible and I don't even know how she handles school on top of everything that she does Um, and she's really inspiring. So please meet Vedanshi. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. <laughs> um, so, Vedanshi, can you give us a little, little short and sweet intro about yourself? Certainly. Uh, thank you so much, Karina, and obviously the team at the Empathy Show for having me on here today. Um, I would say I'm. I mean, I'm just first of all in awe of the wonderful and sweet insp- uh, the introduction that you gave. Um, I'm co-founder and executive director of Bolt Safety Society. That's a federally registered not-for-profit organization working towards safer and equitable communities. Uh, I'm also the creator of Maze. Uh, It's my own little side passion project where I make jewelry and um, I've been just, you know, trying things out in life. And like Karina mentioned, I am a student at UBC, uh, currently in my third year uh, of the integrated sciences major. Very cool. What do you do in your free time, Vedanshi? <laughs> um, well, make jewelry. <laughs> but uh, I also do really enjoy watching Netflix. Uh, that I consider a very serious hobby. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I do. I'm actually just re-watching Suits right now. Oh, I kind of stopped watching Suits. Because, you know, like, sometimes very long shows, they get boring at one yeah. point, And then you just drop it, and then you never restart it. But then when you have nothing to watch, you go back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I feel like after Mike and Rachel, the two characters, they left eventually. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue the show, but they still did a pretty good job considering like two of the main characters weren't there for the last few seasons. So mm-hmm. I stuck through it. It was worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's basically like Grey's Anatomy when they have all the new cast in and then only like like the one main character is still there. So it's like, well, I guess like she's the carry of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Vitanshi also watches K-drama. So do you have any recommendations for our listeners? We always give recommendations. We always give like show recommendations or song recommendations. It's like kind of our thing on this pod. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. Um, I think you definitely need to watch. Okay. Like I'd say like my top three, no, top four Gay dramas are probably Crash Landing on You, mm-hmm. uh, Itaewon Class, Vincenzo, or Vincenzo, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. Um, and there was one more. Oh, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. I feel like mm-hmm. those four are pretty different from each other, but they're they're really good. Um, and anyone that starts to get into K-dramas, definitely watch these four first. Very nice. Very interesting recommendations, to be honest. Like, I feel like... It's one class. I never watched it, but I heard it was really bad. So I was very like, I was very against starting it because I what of like what I heard from other people. But mm. their OST was really good. Like it, I was like just shuffling in my playlist, and then that their OST like came up, and I was like, wow, I really like this song. So maybe I'll start watching it. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. No, it's pretty good. I feel like it's definitely different because 
it's not maybe like at first glance, like, you know, a romance or, or Mm -hmm. even anything else, but I actually found that there's a very complex, um, plot behind like this person who's trying to grow a business as a revenge to like avenge his father, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was actually really cool. Well, continuing this K-drama talk, last episode, we were actually talking about Squid Game. And I'm not sure if you watched it yet, did you? I haven't, but I've seen so many memes and I'm like, I don't know how to block the memes at this point because I don't want any spoilers, but Mm. I think I I get the gist. Like, it's a game where people die. But I think, like, the memes, they are pretty funny, but it doesn't actually spoil, like, what goes on in the drama. Like, the things Mm -hmm. I keep getting reused in memes are, like, just some key, like events inside the drama but it doesn't give you any context like if you didn't watch it so that's true yeah so it's fine you can still definitely watch it like we were talking about I was telling Shrog last episode because we were talking about Squid Game I was like it's a really cool drama because it and the reason why it's trending worldwide because it hits to like every single person about capitalism and society. And one of the most important things that you learn in this drama is the fact that like being nice gets you nowhere. Like you can be nice, but you have to be very cautious of the fact that some people will take advantage of you. So you need to be like nice, but not over the border of where like you're naive nice. So oh, like, yeah, for sure. we were we we're talking about that because that's really important to learn as we're growing up and just being more aware of like our surroundings and the people that we surround ourselves with. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, now focusing on to you after a little icebreaker. <laughs> okay. Drama. Um, why don't you tell us how, how Bolt started, how everything started with Bolt, like what gave you the inspiration? Um, what gave you the ambition to make it as big as it now? Okay, um, great question. So I guess going back to when I was in grade 10 is when this started. Um, it's been four and a half years now since the, I would say the initiative started and it's been mm-hmm. a year since we've been officially incorporated. So along the way, there've definitely been a lot of learning moments and deciding what direction we want to take this organization in. Like, do we want to make it a for-profit? Do we want to make, you know, a nonprofit as it is right now? Um, so when it started, I would say that the biggest catalyst to getting the team together was the Anu and Naveen Jain Women's Safety X Prize. It's an it was an international competition calling on different people um, across the world to put forth a technological solution to women's safety. And here's the thing, right? Like you can make apps, you can make devices, but at the end of the day, there's this huge societal problem that stems from the fact that there isn't a widespread culture of consent. There mm-hmm. aren't um, enough efforts made to support survivors and promote allyship. And so there aren't also enough things being done to prevent sexual violence, for instance, from happening in the first place um, or domestic abuse. Um, so I just think that our team at that, you know, in high school, having heard from other people that, you know, their experiences, like I knew someone um, that went through a, a very abusive relationship and it was just sort of like the feeling of helplessness, thinking that there was nothing that I could do from that distance to support them, um, to get through what they were experiencing and knowing that there were countless other people across the world that were experiencing the same thing and being like, okay, well, this competition is an opportunity to actually make a really big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we entered the competition and we got kicked out after the first round. But 
<laughs> yeah, so that That's was fun. Game. Yeah, I know that was fun. Um, and so our team sort of just was like, okay, we weren't in this really just for the competition. We were in this because we really do want to make a difference. Where do we take it from here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's sort of where we spent some time re-evaluating um, our idea. Um, initially, we wanted to make a, like a wearable device. We ended up moving towards um, a platform on the Wix mobile app. And yeah, that's, I guess, sort of how things started um, rolling, like one after mm-hmm. the other. So yeah, I'd say that's how we got started. Um, so from you starting all of this, and now it's been four and a half years that you mentioned, what are mm-hmm. some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Obviously, it's definitely not an easy process. And you really need to grow your team to get that support too. Because if you were doing this by yourself, you would definitely like burn out and just can't do it anymore. But you have such a strong and supportive team. How did how did you get that started? Um, great question. Well, Karina, you're part of that strong and supportive <laughs> team yourself. So <laughs> and I think that you would know from, you know, starting up this podcast that like along the way there are definitely ups and downs. Like mm-hmm. you need to make sure that um you have team members who are actually really, really passionate about what you're doing. Especially for a nonprofit, I find that like if you have team members that are just there to fill positions, it's actually like not, you're not going to move forward. Mm-hmm. You need people that are both dedicated, have the time to commit and also really, really care about what they're doing. Um, and I'm so happy that our team is like that, like through and through. Um, and so I would say that was one of the biggest lessons learned. Like don't just add people to the team for the sake of adding people to the team. Make sure that they're there because they really want to be there and they're really mm-hmm. going to, you know, try their best to um, improve the initiative. And also, I feel like, I think maybe there's a, like a thing out there that if you're the one leading an initiative, like you need to know everything. The reality is that you can be the person that knows the least about something in the room, but you need to take the opportunity to talk with people, like connect with experts. You should reach out and hire people that are smarter than you. I've, I heard that like quote somewhere. Um, some time back and I feel like I've really seen it resonate in the team because like I would not be a fantastic as amazing of a marketing director as our current marketing director or I would not be as amazing of like a financial director as our financial director because these people are good at their job and that's why our team works well because each person is bringing something amazing and unique to the table for instance Mm -hmm. so I think that's also the other thing that you don't need to be someone that wears all the hats and does it all you just need to find the right people to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so carrying on this conversation, well, since I play like a really small part in this too, so I only pop in when like I need to get something done and then I pop back out. So why don't you tell us the process of getting incorporated? Like how, sure. like how did that come about? Was that something that you guys thought of or were you guys approached um, to do it? Like everything, all of that like fun stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is actually, I feel like one of the more exciting things, like it's really nerve wracking for any entrepreneur. It's also very exciting because you're like, oh my God, we're like official now and stuff. So (laughs) yeah, I found that like getting incorporated really was catalyzed because um, when we launched the mobile platform on UBC Mm -hmm. campus, we had a launch uh, event at the end of 2019 in December. Um, And at that launch event, we had a lot of people there that were telling us that, you know, 
it's like, cause at that point you have to remember that we're still an initiative. Like we're not yeah. registered anywhere. We're just a group of kids just trying to do something. Um, and so that's when we got advice that you guys need to start thinking of yourselves as entrepreneurs. You're not just kids anymore. Like, like, <laughs> y- you know what I mean, right? Like you're not just like a bunch of kids like, Oh yeah, let's, you know, make this safety thing. But you're, you have to think of yourselves as entrepreneurs that have brought forth a viable solution to the, you know, this imminent problem in the world. And you need to, you know, incorporation is a way to take yourself very legitimately. Um, Not only does it give our organization, like, in, you know, the eyes of the community and whatever, like, everyone's going to be like, oh, that's like a registered nonprofit. There are regulations that they're going to have to follow. There Mm -hmm. are certain, you know, like, it it just gives us that additional um, trustworthiness, I feel. Uh, also for our team internally, I feel like being a registered organization, we take ourselves a lot more seriously. Like we don't just treat it as a casual side thing. Like we're like, no, like, you know, we need to put in this much time. We need to make sure that we are following, like, you know, everyone's doing their role. uh, Everyone's pitching in. um, And we're really taking ourselves seriously, like as an organization. So I feel like um, that was the driving force behind why we got decided to get registered. Um, the other thing also is that when you are a registered entity, you have a lot more, I feel, um, you can, you can be like, you know what, this register organization can now, cause when you're registered, this like organization is considered as like an individual or as an entity. Uh, and so Bolt now can, um, you know, get assets. Bolt can now act as an individual, if that makes sense. And so, mm-hmm it's a way for the organization and the initiative to really take legitimacy and grow, um, in, in, you know, incredible ways. And so, yeah, I'd say that's why that's, you know, some of the things that are really, um, good or plus thing plus sides of, uh, getting registered. Um, as for the actual process itself, um, it was a long winded one for us because we didn't actually just jump right in and get everything done in like a week or so. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but like for anyone here, like you know, listening to this, you can totally get it done in literally like one or two days. But we, we took our sweet time with it because we were just like, you know, again, you have to realize that we're again, just, you know, students in high school and university. And we really haven't been taught how to do these things. Like it's, it's kind of intimidating to be putting out your constitution and like your purpose of the organization and articles of incorporation. It's just, um, nerve-wracking for a first-timer mm-hmm. so um we reached out to someone uh one of our mentors um I would say you know they've been we've had the wonderful opportunity of being mentored and supported by a lot of amazing people in, mm-hmm. in the community of and course. it was you know that's the reason that we're why we're here in the first place but this person in particular has a lot of experience um with uh you know starting nonprofit organizations up and uh, they helped us look through our um, our incorporation articles mm-hmm. and was giving us, you know, some help along the way. And so that was amazing. And we finally did get around to doing it. Um, and we picked on July 7th, 2020 to be our incorporation date, just so that it could be like 2020 07 07, <laughs> just for, <laughs> for the numbers. We were done incorporating, like, I think a few weeks back, but we were like, no, let's wait. Let's wait until a cool date, and so <laughs> that's when that happened. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so for yeah, that's essentially how we got around to it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know about the date part. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, looking forward with Bolt, how, what are your ambitions with it? What are your goals? Like the world is literally your oyster and you are incorporated. You are basically like next level now, essentially. So like, what are your plans for Bolt? Um, I would say the thing is like, Bolt should not have to exist, right? Mm. Because if everyone in the world was safe, if everyone was feeling empowered like we would not have to exist in the first place if bad things didn't happen in the world but Mm -hmm. the reality is that these things do happen so I really hope that in the future um Bolt doesn't have to exist because we've successfully made the world a safer place but the reality is that problem is so much bigger than just you know making an app or you know giving people safety and self-defense tips because again all of that is putting the onus on the the survivor Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly, on the victims and survivors. But we need to stop these things from happening in the first place. So I hope that in the future, Bolt can be um, a big part of that change. I know that uh, there are amazing organizations that are already doing so, so much work in this sector. But I think that if we all work together, um, we can actually make a safer world. And so that's really the long-term vision and goal um, of Bolt. And I would say that uh, I, I consider Bolt to be or rather our team considers Bolt to be sort of the centralized hub for all these other organizations, because as let's say a survivor of, um, of violence or abuse of any sort, uh, where do you go? Where mm-hmm. would you go? And how do you know this? Because schools certainly don't teach you this. Yes. Um, your knowledge on this is limited to whether or not you were able to pick up a few brochures from somewhere, from some event. Or if you Google, um, but there's like so many things, like you just don't know how to navigate the system. And I think that's one of the things that we were trying to solve with our platform in Bolt is having all these resources in one place, explaining the different options that a survivor or victim does have. Um, And, you know, also for anyone that wants to support someone as they're going through this, um, just information on how to be a good ally. And so just being better at doing what we're doing right now mm-hmm. and centralizing everything in one place so it can be the one place that people can go to in order to get all the help that they need um with bolt or with any of the other initiatives that you have do have done or are doing mm-hmm. right now um like even the projects that you don't tell other people <laughs> um have you ever felt hopeless and the fact that like whatever you're doing isn't actually helping fix whatever problem or goal that you wanted to reach in the first place. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, like starting Bolt is, we've just gotten started, you know? And the reality is that, like, for instance, we would have initiatives and when we're in the development stage or when we launch it, we think it's going to be this big, huge thing. And then it Safe ends up buddies. that <laughs> yeah guys safe buddies um but it ends up that it's not even just safe buddies like even our other initiatives I just feel like when we're launching we have so much energy and we think that there's going to be so much you know like um so much use for what we're doing in the world mm-hmm. and then we realize that you know what no you were wrong <laughs> and so <laughs> I think that's just the whole thing right like you can you can make these big launches or you can have small launches and then work your way up to making it a big thing at the end of the day, like you need to figure out or like we obviously also need to figure out um, why something isn't working. And that's mm-hmm. such a big part of the process. Um, like if you're starting any initiative, like you just got to get used to it. Like you're not going to be successful every time. Um, and if you really believe in something like 
I'll give an example. We started off as HP Thai, standing for Harnessing the Power of Technology Through Innovation and Engineering. Then we moved to something called Bolt. And then we were like, no, we're going to be Bolt Safety Society. There was a lot of evolution in our organization. And I think that it's so important that we as entrepreneurs are willing to embrace that, that process. Um, because that's <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my my phone no, keeps no. going off. Let me completely shut it down so so people will stop. <laughs> sorry, Justin, give us a five second intermission. <laughs> that's so embarrassing when when you're talking and you're just. You're just talking about something serious and the phone just goes off. I'm so sorry. Don't worry about it. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can just go back to what I was saying then. Um, so like our organization has gone through a lot of evolution and it's so important that um, we as, an, as a team were willing to embrace that. Um, it's not easy, but I'm glad that we were able to do it because obviously that means you can keep going forward because the moment you give up, you're not going to move forward, mm-hmm. but you got to keep going um, to keep growing. Um, so just speaking behind the scenes about all the things that you do, your parents have been really supportive about it, right? Absolutely. And just something that we always talk about on this podcast is that like growing up in Asian culture, just Mm -hmm. it's sometimes it's really hard to find that support or to reach out when we need help. So just can you take us down from like when you were a little kid to now and how like that experience has been for you with you and your family and your yeah. parents and as well as your sibling? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So um, when I was younger, well, I was born in India, first of all. Uh, and then we moved to Kuwait, which is where um, my dad, like my mom and dad used to work in India. And then, then my dad moved to Kuwait. And then obviously I was born and then we moved to Kuwait, mm-hmm. all of us. Um, and then I would say that was, you know, I was already from a very young age removed from extended family. And I think that, um, that's probably a very common experience of people that have immigrated to other countries from their home countries. Um, after we were in Kuwait until I was like seven years old, we came to Canada. Um, and it's obviously been like, I'm 20 right now. And so it's, it's been a long time since we've been here, but I think that, um, there's definitely, something in the sense that like as like in my family um because it's just the four of us my mom especially is very adamant on how we need to be there to support each other because Mm -hmm. we need to look after each other because we don't have extended family here um like even if you know something happens like something bad happens with friends or whatever at school or outside at work we need to be able to come home and know that these are the people that we can count on to always have our backs And so that was a very strong message that I got growing up. Um, And I think it's maybe it's because we were, you know, very far from our family back home um, that my mom made sure that we never felt the the lack of warmth of grandparents, for instance. Like she always Mm -hmm. made sure that we were calling them, we were Skyping them, we were always in touch with them. Um, And so that whenever we went back to India, it never felt like these are strangers. Like it always felt like I had a family that I was going back home to. Um, And so... I'm sorry. I don't even know if I'm like answering your question. (laughs) (laughs) You are. You are telling us about your supportive, warm culture, culture, family, culture, family, (laughs) family lives. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. That's what I'm telling you about. Um, (laughs) 
Um, yeah. And then I think that like whenever we went through um, anything hard, my mom would literally like, she would like hold me until I would either start crying and let my emotions out uh, <laughs> or um, like tell her what happened because she could always tell when I were I was bottling something up and I didn't want to talk about it. And she was like, no, we're talking about it right now. Or she would literally like drop everything. And I think that was so important because I know that there are people that um, they, I was very incredibly lucky, like my sister and I both uh, growing up, um, especially during our childhood, my mom was like, I'm not going to be working right now. I'm actually going to just spend time raising my kids. And I know that not everyone is, has that. And mm -hmm. I'm, that's why I'm so grateful that um, grateful and privileged that my mother was able to do that, um, for like myself and my younger sister. And so I think that just having her, uh, really helped me get through a lot of tough things. Like when I was in elementary school, for instance, I would say like, even I'm just going to be dead honest here. Like even within like Asian communities, like, you know, we go to school in Richmond, a lot of people there come from families of Asian descent. Um, I still felt like as the Indian kid in my class, I was mm -hmm. discluded. Uh, because mm. everyone else was not Indian. Like they were, um, you know, like they just weren't Indian. And I feel like maybe there was, I don't know like what it was, but I was discluded. Um, like another simple example is that I feel like as South Asian people, like we have very, a lot of body hair. And uh, that was something that I was very insecure about in okay, elementary yeah, school. Yeah. I was really insecure about that. And I feel like I also got made fun of it um, when I was in elementary school. And so I feel like there's a lot of hits to self-esteem there. But whenever I would come home, my mom would, like, I knew that I could talk about it with someone at home. And that way it was so important for, for you know, my confidence to not completely shatter. <laughs> to, to stay there. So, yeah. Your confidence is, your confidence is very high. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really yeah, yeah. glad that you you had that support system because I know that a lot of people growing up they don't have that and they basically keep everything inside and then it's just like a like uphill slash like roller coaster ride as they grow up of like mental health and just self esteem insecurities the list goes on so it's really it's really nice to hear hear about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so another question for you. Um, so let's talk about Maze. So how did you how did you get the idea to start Maze? Or was it just like, oh, I want to do something like a little on the side to just release my creative energies and just have some fun? Yeah, no, that was definitely part of it. I also feel like um, I obviously had Bolt, which took up, a, I consider Bolt, honestly, like my unpaid full-time job or yeah literally job. it like, is yeah yeah I know it takes up a lot of time but obviously I'm happy to do that um I think that maze was also definitely a creative outlet I feel like during COVID because I was stuck at home um it just I needed something that I was doing that was not on the screen because lectures are online meetings are online everything was online and so making jewelry um with you know literal like pliers in my hands that was something very much offline and so I really um, I mean, like when I was a kid, I used to make rainbow looms and like, you know, those like French <gasps> bracelets. Oh my God. So, yeah. Okay. Side note, speaking of rainbow looms, yeah. somebody posted about that on their Instagram story the other day. They're like, oh my God, does anybody still remember about this? And then I replied to them. I was like, dude, I have like my whole entire set still under my bed. Like I have two <laughs> yeah. boxes of organized colors of rainbow mm -hmm. loom stuff under my bed. <laughs> No, I still have like the thing that you know the the thing that you used to actually make the rainbow loom. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I love yeah. that. I feel like if you asked someone in elementary school right now, like, oh, do you know what a rain balloon is? They're going to be like, what generation? <laughs> what generation are you from? Yeah. Okay, wait, continue um, about maze. Yes. Right, right. So uh, that was fun. My mom actually joked that my initial jewelry that I made, uh, it looked like I was imprisoned. Like it looked like someone had tied me up or something. And I was like, you know what? Maybe that's just internally how I feel. I wasn't like, a, like you know, trying to like, you know, do that. But um, <laughs> I think it might have been a, a subconscious thing. And that just came out in the jewelry. And that was it, you know. Um, but I think that definitely over the time, um, I've moved away from like the initial style of jewelry I started making and making something very, very different from that. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's been an artistic evolution in the past year as well. <laughs> artistic evolution. And yeah. something I noticed is that some of your proceeds actually go to different charities or you change yeah. up the charity sometimes, right? If mm-hmm. I'm correct. So which ones have that's you donated right, yeah. to so far? So the first one that I did was with um, my collection called Power, uh, and it was in collaboration with um, this, like, I I knew someone from high school that is very much involved with the Straight Outta Rescue Society. They Mm -hmm. help um, dogs and cats find safe and loving homes, and so we collaborated to, yeah, to raise and donate proceeds to to that organization, and currently, um, I've said that from like until the end of the year, basically any proceeds that are raised, I'll be donating 20% to Covenant House Vancouver. They, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They help um, at-risk youth on Vancouver streets just find um, a safe space to transition out. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. See, when I say Vedanchi is like literally a modern day superwoman that's like 20 year old, I'm, this is what I'm saying. I feel like everybody that just listens to what you're doing will be really inspired and motivated to take action in their own life to like change things for the better too. Because I think everybody wants to do things to change the world or to better themselves, you know? But then we're yeah. always just so scared to take that first step because there's like a wide range of things like judgment. You're going to be judged for like the things you do. Obviously, you're afraid to be, you're afraid that it won't be successful and like blah, 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 blah. But then at the end of the day, like none of these things really matter. It, what matters is that like this is something that you want to do and it's coming um, coming out of like your own good values and with good intentions. So I feel like people who see things from the outside can really see that passion when they finally hear about the things that you do. So, uh, just those conversations that's like like, that's so (laughs) sweet of you Karina honestly that's so 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 sweet of you I feel like um each one of us like you said has the ability to to do something you know Mm -hmm. like each one of us has the potential to you don't have to get into the nonprofit sector if you don't want to obviously but I think that with everything that we do we can think about how we can do in a even in a small way um help make the world around us a better place because with maze it's not a nonprofit, right it's a (laughs) for-profit kind of a thing that's like you know but I can still think about how I'm being um you know I'm thinking about how I can use that still to try to contribute to other organizations that are working on making the world a better place so Mm -hmm. yeah small things we can all do actually funny thing you mentioned about judgment and failure because I think that's actually one of the things if I'm being really honest that drove um not sure about other team members, but definitely drove me to continue with the initiative even after 
being kicked out of um, the X Prize. The competition? (laughs) (laughs) No, like, I, yeah, the competition. But um, I think one of the driving factors for me internally was I knew that I started something that I really was passionate about, that I believed Mm -hmm. in, but I didn't want to leave it as a failure. Like, I was like, I am going to work so hard on this so that it becomes something because then I can say that, okay, I put in my all and something did come out of it. I didn't want to give up before I had a chance to at least make it into something. And so I'm glad I did that because if I hadn't taken that risk or if, you know, my other team members hadn't been there all, you know, throughout the way, then we wouldn't be where we are today. That's, I think that's something that we both have in common is that like, we can't Mm. leave something unfinished. We're like, if something like knocks us down, we'll think of ways to like get back up and to defeat them and be like in your face, yo. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, so just speaking about like Vidanshi and I's relationship. So to a lot of people that don't actually know this, Vidanshi and I met a very long time ago. And I actually don't remember when you joined SJA. Do you remember when I, you joined? I, I, he, oh, I think it was in grade... I'm trying to remember because I had a dance competition that year. I showed up to my interview in my dance costume. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was in grade... Yeah, it was grade... I joined grade 11, but my interview was, so I had the thing, wait, give me like one second. Okay. I'm, I'm going like to tell you right now. Mind blank. <laughs> wait, no, it was like grade nine that happened. And then grade 10. I feel like you definitely joined. I definitely yeah. known you for longer than a year before I left for sure. Oh yeah. No, it was either grade 10 or 11. I'm, I think it's grade 10. Mm-hmm. I think it's great time. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, SJA is St. John Ambulance and blah, 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 cadets. Wait, yay, fun stuff. <laughs> First aid cadets for all of you who think that air cadets Cadet- and like sneak cadets and whatever other cadets are the only things. Yeah. <laughs> when when people like, when I explain what St. John Ambulance is, people don't get it. So yeah. when I say cadets, they're like, oh, cadets. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. like I don't even bother explaining <laughs> what it is anymore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so Vidashi I met like back in grade 10 and now we're both in year three. Mm-hmm. And so after I left, I really didn't like reach out to anybody in SJA. I was just like, oh, just like let things happen. Like it, we, de- we'll all definitely keep in touch because I've known everybody for like at least like nine, 10 years of my life. So it's really hard to cut off those relationships, even though if I didn't want to. Um, but Vidashi actually invited me um, to Bolt because she was like, hey, like, I know you're really busy, but I was wondering if you want to be an ambassador because yeah. I think, like, the things that you do and, like, your values really align with Bolt. And then I was like, sure, I'll do it because I was like, oh, this is very low commitment and something I can help with. So very cool, very fun. And I think my experience at Bolt has been very, very good too because everybody is really nice and really supportive. And... The thing is, like, they understand. They also know that, like, I'm very low commit. <laughs> I'm, like, very low committed to both. Like, I'm there and I'm supportive. But, like, my actual responsibilities are very low. And the fact that everybody understands that is something that, I, that I'm really happy about. Because sometimes when you join something, like, people expect things from you. And you're like, well, you stated that I only need to do these things. Like, why are you expecting more from me? And I think, like, that's not just with, like, clubs or organizations, but that's just, like, in relationships in general. Like, sometimes Mm -hmm. when you have, like, friendships, like, some people 
Wow, this is some tea. <laughs> We're like diverting from our original conversation. <laughs> like, you know, right. like, just, just speaking about like relationships that you have in your life, sometimes people need more maintenance and like they need more of that like attention and love. And like, whereas some people you can still be friends with them, like without having any contact with them for like five years. So, like, that's what yeah. I feel like with both. Like, I'm that like five year relationship with them where like <laughs> I don't need to put in that much effort. But like, if we want to ever like catch up and stuff, like, everything's still fine so that was a very long analogy (laughs) (laughs) no but like honestly I feel like one of the things with Bolt is I'm so by the way glad that you are on the team because even like one of the things like again connecting to what I was saying um we wanted to create roles that people could still help us amplify our message but Mm -hmm. they didn't necessarily need to be there like at weekly meetings or anything like that because you know like people have other things going on in, in their lives and there are ways for you to still be part of something without having to like stop doing everything you're yeah. doing. And, like you can still be part of it in even like a small way. It goes a it goes a big way. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just going back to your point about how your goal with Boat is that one day you hope that it doesn't need to exist. But sadly, I don't think that will ever happen because we don't live in a utopia. And yeah. <laughs> a lot of actions that happen in the world, it's it happens because of people's intrinsic feelings and it's also the environment that they grow up in. So it's kind of up to our generation because we are, we quote unquote are creating the next generation as well. So it's kind of up to us to create that environment and to create that society where like we can tell, we tell people when things are wrong and we correct their actions right away. Cause like, I feel like we're kind of at that point right now, especially with social media. Like we, we call out people really fast when they do something wrong and we can find out things super quickly too, if something wrong has happened. So I think like we are making those progressive steps, but it's just, it's just very, it's just very hard for us to say that like there won't be any bad human beings on the planet who, who will do bad things. You know, like it's kind of hard for us to say that like, we obviously like the people that we surround ourselves with they're obviously good people and they have good intentions but it's just you know 98 percent of the world there will be people there with bad intentions so I really hope well it doesn't have to exist but but it's just it's just really hard to say that like all these all these different issues that we've seen will go away as well because Mm -hmm. some people is just ingrained in them too once they were born like regardless of how they grow up and everything like external factors will also influence their actions and that's just really sad to me because I don't know it's something that like really hits me sometimes because you wake up and you think like oh like I'm having such a good day but then there's like somebody in the part of the world, it's like how they're having like a really shit day because somebody did something yeah. bad to them. And it's just like, why do we, why do we live, why do we live this way? Like literally Absolutely. philosoph, philosoph, phil, phil, philosophical <laughs> question. <laughs> I can't say it either. Philo, philo, what? <laughs> philo, philo, philo question. Yeah. But yeah, so just ending this podcast today, um, just some food for thought, actually, like, what are some things that we can do and you specifically, whoever is listening, like what can you do to help this 
help make this world a better place. Not just like being environmentally sustainable or like, you know, recycle your your trash, but like actual things like, okay, yes, the planet is dying. I'm sorry. The planet is dying and it's good that you're making steps of being environmentally sustainable. But like, even if the planet survives, like there's still people in there and what can we do to make this a safer place for others to live in and for the next generation and how they grow up? So, yeah. Any last thoughts, Fidaji? Any last, any pieces of advice for our listeners, our entrepreneurs, our passion projectors, our <laughs> um, anybody? I think that maybe tying it back to the theme of this show, you know, empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that at the end of the day, empathy is a lifestyle. It's not something you just do like here and there. You can start off by practicing and, you know, being more considerate of others around you, like on occasion. But I feel like at the end of the day, like making it part of your initiative from the very beginning, um, thinking about, I, I read this somewhere. I think it was on LinkedIn because LinkedIn has great articles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, someone said about like, business is not about like making money. It's about being of service to people. And mm-hmm. so identifying how you can be of service to your community is I think a really great way to start. And there's nothing wrong. Oh, also, I should mention that I feel like if it's a nonprofit, people are like, oh, it's like amazing. You're doing this for the community. But I think also consider yourself a serious entrepreneur because mm-hmm. there is serious entrepreneurship that goes on even in community focused initiatives. Yes. So if you know, like you can still be very much a very entrepreneurial person in the nonprofit space. And so I think entrepreneurship, empathy, like all of that, it's a lifestyle. It's about the spirit. It's about creating something that is going to leave the world better than when you started your initiative. Mm -hmm. And so if each of us can start to do something or even join something that you believe in, like Karina joined Bolt, um, I think it's going to, all these things happen when we are working together. Change does not happen in a vacuum. Change happens when we all work together. And so Maybe one day if every single person in the world works together and is aligned with, you know, the cause of the and the vision of safer communities, maybe we can be in that utopia. You know, we can exactly. hope. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, we can hope. We can imagine that'll happen. <laughs> I have yeah. a very I have a very pessimistic view of like <laughs> people. <laughs> Um, but thank you again to Vidanshi for joining me today on this very, very nice Thanksgiving morning. <laughs> I yeah. hope you have a have a wonderful day spending time with your family and friends. And just a big thank you again telling our, our listeners about all the initiatives that you do and how amazing you are. And you're just very inspiring to a lot of people. So keep up the great work (laughs) that's very kind of you thanks for having me on here uh you have an amazing podcast and i think that just the message you're sending out in the world is inspiring and it's amazing and so keep doing what you're doing thank (laughs) you for that thank you and on that note thank you for listening to the empathy show i'm karina and just want to say a huge thank you to our team once again justin irene and gabriel and also a Quick shout out to my co-host, Shirag. He probably won't even listen to the end, but that's fine. (laughs) Um, And we'll see you next time um, and with Shirag's solo episode. And then after that will be our, I think, our second last episode of the season. So yeah, keep in touch on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, everywhere. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. (laughs) 